Hello, everybody. I am Drew Duncan. You guys are checking me out live, and the program is fired up. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram is all at Drew Duncan Radio. I am wherever you're listening to podcasts. Take a device to play Fired Up by Drew Duncan on iTunes, iHeart, Google, wherever you're listening. I am there. I am brought to you in part by Block 50 Radio, which is online 24-7-365 at block50radio.com. That's WBFR. They are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at Block 50 Radio, YouTube, TikTok, etc., Block 50 Radio. Plenty to get to today, guys. We are going to be talking about the Pat McAfee Show. Obviously, we're going to be talking AFC and NFC playoffs. We're going to be talking about Derrick Henry, whether or not he's going to be with the Titans come next season. We're going to be discussing that. We're going to be talking about Draymond Green currently back in practice with the Golden State Warriors. Doesn't mean he's going to be playing. Certainly, he was there on the bench and going through warm-ups, so we're going to be getting to that as well. And, of course, we're going to be talking SEC football with Stanley continuing to make enemies <laughs> with literally disregard for what anybody has to say. Think, Phil, whatever, just not giving a damn. All right. Here is Pat McAfee on his program a couple of days ago claiming that there is, quote, a rat in his show. Anyways, we're very appreciative, and we understand that more people are watching this show than ever before. We're very thankful for the ESPN folks being very hospitable. Now, there are some people actively trying to sabotage us from within ESPN. More specifically, I believe Norby Williamson is the guy who is attempting to sabotage our program. I'm not 100% sure. That is just seemingly the only human that has information, and then somehow that information gets leaked, and it's wrong. And then it sets a narrative of what our show is. And then are we just going to combat that from a rat every Mm. single time? I don't know. But, like, somebody tried to get ahead of our actual ratings release with wrong numbers 12 hours beforehand. That's a sabotage attempt. And it's been happening basically this entire season from some people who didn't necessarily love the old addition of the Pat McAfee show to the ESPN family. Sure. There's a lot of those. We've heard them anonymously quoted in the Washington Post, Mm -hmm. in the New York Post, in the New York Times, in the L.A. Times, in Wall Street Journal. And they're never like, yeah, love the show. This is awesome. It's always like little things to try to tear us down. So even with the enemy within our own camp, somebody that we don't, I don't like that guy. That guy left me in his office for 45 minutes, no-showed me in 2018. So this guy has had zero respect for me. And in return, same thing back to him for a long time. So even with that taking place and potential PR, like there's, we're still growing somehow. Yep. So we're very thankful. Yeah. I think we're doing it right. We're trying to do it as right as possible. Mm -hmm. We have good intentions every single time we come in here. We don't always get it right, but motherfuckers been getting it wrong for a long time in this specific field. Long time. Every day. Every single day. What do you mean? Like you said, you have the right intentions. Like, we're trying to sit here and have fun and talk about sports. Bingo. And Connor and other stuff as well. So the rat that he's talking about is Norby Williamson. And here's the thing. Basically what he's saying is that somebody's trying to sabotage him by putting out to the media fake numbers on the ratings. Now, to be fair, I have seen multiple reports. I, I've seen reports from... The Athletic, which claims 1.7 million views. I've seen reports from Sportico, which says 888,000 views, and that's across all media platforms, right? While the show was live on television, while it's on Facebook, Instagram, all that stuff, because he does go live on all of his social media platforms 
while he's doing the show. And as of the moment of this broadcast, we have yet to see whether or not Pat McAfee has issued an apology. And by the way, ESPN has since claimed that they're going to deal with this in-house. Look, a couple of things stand out to me. Number one, the difference in the numbers, right? It could validate his claim that there is, in fact, somebody out there who's sabotaging him, putting out the wrong numbers, not being honest with what the show is bringing because they no longer want him there. And let's not forget that back in October, it was reported that Pat McAfee could possibly not be at college game day come 2024 because he himself does not think that a lot of the audiences that they have respond very well to his style. So there's that. And it could be that they are beginning a flush system at ESPN already by trying to say, look, that's eh, not really what everybody says. So what number do you believe? Closer to 900,000 or closer to 1.7 million? That's going to be up to you. Now, here's the thing that we've all got to remember, because he was very nonchalant in how he presented this. Let's not forget that Pat McAfee has strong ties to the WWE. And as we all know, the WWE is 100% scripted. And as we all know, what's called a work is where you begin to present yourself in a certain way. Stone Cold Steve Austin did it when he and Vince McMahon feuded as the boss and employee, right? Real life storyline, relatable to a lot of people. It could be that Pat McAfee is pulling a fast one on all of us. Now, having said that, the fact that ESPN says that they've dealt with this in-house only means one of two things to me. They're either in on it or they are seriously irate over what he had to say, especially when you're paying somebody in the neighborhood of $85 million. Let's not forget zone and him had a mutual parting after the $140 million contract that he had with them, and he voided the contract with FanDuel, which would have been more lucrative, supposedly, than what he got over at ESPN, which was still, again, $85 million, $17 million a year, reportedly. And he's already said that they're getting more viewers on ESPN than they are anywhere else. So I think ESPN, if this is true, they hear this, and they go, look, man, what the hell are you doing? And they are pulling you in with a room of PR people, AR people, executives, sponsors. And they're going, look, Brody, we've put in a lot of time. We put in a lot of work. We've done a lot of money, spent a lot of money promoting you. We've spent a lot of money on you personally. And you're coming out like this. It could be that everybody thinks that they're Cat Williams now. Let's just all be whistleblowers. That could be the scenario. And by the way, one of the things that I talked about over the weekend was Uncle Shea might want to watch out for his job come Monday because everything that Cat did not only was a direct shot at Disney, but a direct shot at everybody else. And the bombs that this dude was dropping went 110% viral, and it's the most popular show that Shannon Sharp has ever done. He didn't have to put it out, but he damn sure did. So we know that he knew what he was doing calculated risk reward maybe trying to go more independent you know what is the plan here what's the ultimate goal of this as of the moment look there hasn't been an apology from shannon sharp there hasn't been an apology from pat mcafee as of the moment of this broadcast so it makes you wonder what is really going on is everybody deciding they want to go independent and get their own money that way is pat mcafee feeling like he's being held down you know by what he can and can't do while he's on ESPN. 
I mean, there's a there are just way more questions than there are answers in this scenario. But again, it was just for me the nonchalantness in the way. It, I mean, it was just so casual the way he brought it up. Like it was no big deal. Like this was common conversation. Look, not everybody is Cat Williams, and not everybody's ready for that type of heat or smoke or whatever the hell you want to call it. And the fact of the matter is this. If it is a work, then that would mean ESPN would have to be in on it because it would all be about visibility of the show, which would tell me that the 888,000 mark is a little bit closer than that 1.7 million mark. This is very much he said, he said, truth is somewhere in the middle. Who do you believe? And Pat McAfee has got his following. And they are diehard people. I mean, I don't know if they're as diehard as Joe Rogan's following, but you could almost put them up there on that level. I would not be surprised if things went south really quick. Because if ESPN ain't in on this gag, whether it was a gag or not, there's going to be problems. Nobody's going to pay you $85 million to go out there and start wrecking the company that you are licensed through for that big of a contract. Just not going to happen. All right, everybody, still plenty to get to. We're going to be talking more NFL with Derrick Henry, AFC, NFC playoffs. We're going to be talking about LeBron and the elbow. We're going to be talking about Draymond Green back in practice with the Golden State Warriors. Stanley of the SEC is out here continuing to make enemies with fans and other uh, commissioners alike. I am brought to you in part by WBFR, Block 50 Radio. They're online 24-7, 365. Blackfittyradio.com. We're going to take a break. Don't you dare touch that dial. Block 50 Global Radio. I am Drew Duncan. The show is fired up and we are live. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram is all at Drew Duncan Radio. I am wherever you are listening to podcasts. Take a device to play Fired Up by Drew Duncan on iTunes, iHeart, Google, wherever you are listening. I am there. I am brought to you in part by WBFR Block 50 Radio, which is online 24 7, 365 at block50radio.com. I can be found wherever you are listening to podcasts. Take a device to play Fired Up by Drew Duncan on iTunes, iHeart, Google, wherever you're listening, I am there. And guys, if you don't want to pay for any more subs, because, I mean, after all, the Peacock, they're having a playoff game, right? So if you don't want to pay for any more subs, podcast subs, whatever the case may be, head on over to the YouTube channel, The Real Drew Duncan, The RL Drew Duncan, where I do post entire episodes for free. We still got Derrick Henry to get to. Like I said, AFC, NFC playoffs, LeBron in the elbow. Draymond back in practice, seen riding the pine. Also seen in warm-ups. We're going to be talking about that and a little SEC football as well, as if we're not all tired of talking about the SEC already. There's got to be something I can find before the end of this show to replace that. I'm telling you. There's there's just got to be something. Or maybe not. I don't know. Well, Derrick Henry made a nice little speech at the end of the season for the Tennessee Titans. Give it a listen. Titans fans, 
ups and the downs. Y'all been there for everything, through the adversity. Watching me grow as a person and a player, always supporting me. Um, I love y'all. Uh, I love seeing the 22 in the stadium. Hopefully, I was an inspiration to all the young kids and everybody in the community. Just thank y'all so much. Man, God is good. And tighten up, baby. Nothing left to be said. Ladies and gentlemen, Derek Henry, the king. You know, the reality of it is, people, is that with Derrick Henry, this football team is 65 and 53. Without him, they're 6 and 6. Now, you're probably going to go, well, that's not a very significant difference. I'm going to give you another stat line here. A season ago, Ryan Tannehill with Derrick Henry in game averaged 250 yards a game throwing the football. Without him, only 192. And by the way, let's not forget that now he has 41 100-yard games, which for the franchise breaks Earl Campbell's record, and he's now the all-time leading rusher that Alabama has ever had in the NFL. So what does this all mean? What does this all bring up? What are we all talking about here? Well, it's very simple. It is all about whether or not a running back is worth maybe even quarterback-type money. I mean, this is the thing that happened, this discussion with Taylor. And a lot of people are saying Le'Veon Bell blew it, and he's the reason why running backs aren't going to get the money that they deserve, et cetera, et cetera. People are going to talk about the age of Derrick Henry. They're going to talk about this and that and the third. What I'm going to tell you is, is if Derrick Henry ends up in the right situation, he could make anybody a Super Bowl contender. Look, he made Ryan Tannehill look like an all-time quarterback sometimes. The reality of the situation is simply this. I would take Derrick Henry on my football team. Can you imagine Derrick Henry with Russell Wilson this season? Even with all the BS with Sean Payton and all that, I think Denver may have had a different year with somebody like Derrick Henry. Joe Burrow, give him a Derrick Henry. All right, We've all seen how good Brock Purdy looks when he's got Christian McCaffrey. What about Lamar Jackson? Give him a Derrick Henry. The running backs just do not get enough credit for what they have accomplished in this league in recent years. And what I'm going to be interested to find out is whether or not ESPN is going to say Derrick Henry should get his big payday. Because this is a catch-22 for a company that has gone on publicly many times over and has said that the running back position should all be but obsolete. Why have they said that? Well, it's real simple. They really need, and I mean this, they really need the highlights, the big plays, the deep throws, all that stuff, the quarterback play. They, they need it to be big for guys like Jalen Hurts. They need it to be big. Why? Because of the SEC affiliation, which is why I'm interested to see what, in what they do with Derrick Henry. Are they going to go out and say, well, Derrick Henry's worth a lot of money? Or are they going to keep the standpoint of, well, you know, running backs or this or that, so what's that going to do for the SEC if they go, well, running backs really aren't a thing? Conundrum, huh? Maybe they just stay quiet about it all. I'm interested to see it. Me, I think Derrick Henry is worth any amount of money that he is seeking. 
And I'm going to be very clear about why. It's not just about the stats that I gave you. It's not just about the numbers that I gave you. It's about one simple thing. As long as Derrick Henry is in your backfield, it literally takes so much pressure off of the offensive play calling 100%. Because we've all seen Derrick Henry peel off the, what was it, basically the 98-yard run or whatever the hell it was. We've all seen that play. We've all seen the Derrick Henry stiff arms. We've all seen Derrick Henry make something out of nothing. We've all seen Derrick Henry completely take control of a football game offensively by himself. In the red zone, he's money. At your own one-yard line, he's money. Fourth and short, he's money. Third and short, he's money. Do you understand? He's going to be one of the most popular players on your team. He's going to draw in a lot of revenue. He's going to make you a lot of damn money, so why not pay him the damn money that he's worth? I mean, come on, man. When you think about the Tennessee Titans, you really think about Ryan Tannehill at any point. Do you think, well, man, Ryan Tannehill's the guy? No, of course you didn't. That literally never happened. Not once. I'm not saying Ryan Tannehill's not a good quarterback, because he was, especially in his Miami days. Very underrated, I thought. You know, he just he couldn't stay healthy, and it was a really bad offensive line situation. So think about that. The offensive line was porous. They couldn't block a D2 football team for the majority of the time. Most sack quarterback in the NFL, yet somehow they're in the playoffs. Who's the common denominator here, folks? Number 22. Without him, they are not a playoff football team, even with Ryan Tannehill. It's just not going to happen. So the fact of the situation is, if you put him in a better situation with an even better quarterback and a slightly better offensive line and all the pressure it takes off of the play calling, all the pressure it takes off of the quarterback, all the different things that you can do now with your play calling, the different sets that you could run, it just completely redirects an offense to a much more either open or power set, whatever they want to do. And it makes the balance really difficult to keep up with. And that is the primary thing that a Derrick Henry gives you other than the mass amount of yards and TDs that he's going to score. All right, everybody. I am Drew Duncan. We are live, and the program is fired up. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram is all at Drew Duncan Radio. I'm wherever you're listening to podcasts. Take a device to play Fired Up by Drew Duncan on iTunes, iHeart, Google, wherever you're listening. I am there. If you want to pay for any more podcast subs, Head on over to my YouTube channel, The Real Drew Duncan, D-R-L Drew Duncan, where I do post entire episodes for free once the program is done airing live. I am brought to you in part by Block 50 Radio. That's WBFR, Block 50 Radio. They're online 24-7, Block50Radio.com. we got bills. Don't you dare touch that down.
Block 50 Global Radio. From a coach's perspective, Taylor Jenkins feels that the Lakers are bullying his team. And he, he talked about it before the game. And yeah, there was contact there. There's no doubt about it. Uh, wow. Jenkins on the court. That's the technical. Ball hit him on. Let's see. Here it is. Yeah. He definitely tried to get him off him and hit him with a forearm. Well, you just heard the play right there. LeBron James and an irate head coach for the Memphis Grizzlies. We're going to be talking about that here momentarily. Hello, everybody. I am Drew Duncan. We are live, and the program is fired up. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram is all at Drew Duncan Radio. I am wherever you are listening to podcasts. Take a device to play Fired Up by Drew Duncan on iTunes, iHeart, Google. Wherever you're listening, I am there. Plenty to get to today. Obviously, we're still going to be talking about LeBron James' elbow. That's momentarily. We're going to be talking about Draymond back with the Golden State Warriors. We're going to be talking about Stanley, the SEC commissioner, just going bananas on everybody right now. Obviously, we're going to be talking college football playoff tonight, Washington and Michigan. We're going to have that on tap. AFC, NFC playoffs, plenty to get to. First of all, did I catch some hate on the internet, which I usually do, and I usually just do not give a damn. So I'm just going to tell everybody that whatever you call me, whatever you say to me, I got news for you, man. It ain't going to do nothing to me, pimpin'. There's nothing in my lifetime that I have not heard that you are going to say to me. I'm just going to keep it a buck. There's literally nothing you could do. There's nothing you can say. You know, like one guy in my comment section, this is why this guy doesn't average a lot of views. Well, <laughs> here you are, amigo. <laughs> here you are. Appreciate you stopping by, Pimpin'. Look, here's the thing. And it is an absolutely, first of all, spot-on analogy. Because I compared the LeBron situation to Sabonis and Draymond Green. Draymond Green got suspended. Draymond Green was held by Sabonis, and then Draymond Green gave Sabonis a little love tap. And I stood up for Draymond Green, and I maintained what I had to say about that situation. I don't give a damn. And then on top of that, Sabonis was acting petty. You know, let's not forget that he finished that game. Afterwards, all the x-rays and everything came back negative. Everybody was fine. Stop it. Okay? Stop it. LeBron, same situation with Jackson. He's getting held on his arm. LeBron gives him a nice little elbow. Ref doesn't do nothing about it. In fact, it was Memphis who ended up catching a tech. Hey, like them apples. Well, my thing is, it's not about shade at LeBron. I'm not a LeBron hater. I don't really give a damn if I'm being honest with you. Here's the thing. If we're going to be mad at Draymond and we are going to crack on Draymond, and we are going to eject Draymond, then we need to do the same thing. LeBron got held. He gave him a love tap. There was a little bit of acting on the part of Jackson. I mean, come on, man. The king of flops. Before me, oh, LeBron doesn't flop anymore. First of all, yes, he does. Secondly, that's why he got a tech a couple of weeks ago playing against the Pistons for flopping. So let's be clear about that. 
The fact of the matter is simply this. We have come to a point now where the league has just looked bad all season long. And I mean, it's been literally from beginning to end. And one of the things I talked about with having that stupid in-season tournament was did you ever wonder why they're having this thing in Vegas? The officiating for that was beyond BS. And we have seen some extremely BS injections. And we have seen some extremely BS calls. And yet, even with everything that has gone on, we are still giving LeBron James favoritism that I don't care no NBA player deserves. I mean, even in the day of Jordan, what would you hear? Well, somebody else probably wouldn't get that call, but Michael Jordan's going to. Yeah, I, I Just why in the hell should it be like that? There's no reason for it. And I think MJ's the GOAT. But I still am like, I just, I can't understand why we would get to a place where ball players are very openly getting special treatment. I understand that with Draymond, that it was really more of a history thing. And I look, I'm not above understanding what in the hell is going on there. All right. I'm completely with all the madness. I'm up to date on everything. I know what's happening. I'm not ignorant. A part of me definitely gets that. However, if you want to set a precedent and you want to make it a league-wide thing of we're not going to tolerate this, then you have to, at the highest level of your league, make everybody see that this will not be tolerated. Now, do I think the NBA has gotten soft? I mean, yeah, come on. It's, <laughs> it's literally nothing like what we saw back in my day. That's for damn sure. I mean, in my day, that was really nothing, to be honest with you. They might have called it like a foul, but they wouldn't have called it a tech or a flagrant. But by today's standard, that is 100% the correct call, whether anybody likes that or not. And if you want to keep that standard, then everybody has to adhere to that standard. So, no, you don't get to say that I'm a hater. No, you don't get to say that I'm soft. What I am specifically speaking on, come on, people, you get a minute to a minute and a half on social media for this stuff when you want to post it on Reels and YouTube Shorts. I mean, you don't even get a – I mean, you barely, you literally get 59.9 seconds basically on YouTube Shorts. You don't even get the full 60 seconds. Seriously. There's only so many things that I can say in a short amount of time. Do you understand? I am not crucifying LeBron James. That is not what happened. What I am saying is what's fair is fair. And the fact that only a few people actually understood that kind of blew my mind. And I get that everybody's got their fanfare. And, you know, because of the constant national attention on, you know, LeBron and Jordan and who's the GOAT and all that, that's basically where everybody's always coming from a place of, right? If you if something happens with LeBron and, you know, you don't like what happened with LeBron and you think that he got special treatment, then you must not think he's that good of a ball player. Well, I've said a million and one times that LeBron James is a good basketball player. But there has to be a level of even for everybody. And I think a big part of what's going on right now is that was honestly more of a frustration thing than it was anything else. Because you saw, I'm 99% sure you, at least at the bare minimum, solved the interview where LeBron just didn't want to talk and he goes, man, we just suck right now. 
Yeah. You know, then you got their head coach. Oh, come on, man. You know, we're living and dying in every game. Have you looked at your record lately, amigo? Not exactly user-friendly. I mean, making the playoffs is still a thing. Winning championships is still a thing. And it's a stacked roster. And look, I'm not saying LeBron hasn't been doing his part, but let's also be very clear about this. LeBron is not wanting to play more than 30 minutes in any game. And I understand that his production at his age versus what he's getting, that's fine. But at some point, if you want to win games, you got to have your main guy. And your main guy's got to be in there, and he's got to be racking it up. And he's got to be willing to put in more than 30 minutes, and that's all there is to it. It's a love-it-or-leave-it situation. I can't imagine anybody waking up in 1995 and hearing the words, Michael Jordan's only going to play 30 minutes at max every game this season. Scottie Pippen, Dennis Rodman, Patrick Ewing, Reggie Miller. I can't imagine hearing those words unless they didn't matter to a basketball team. That would be the only way you would ever begin to hear something like that going on. Something's got to give. Where do you put the responsibility? Put it on everybody. From coaching all the way down to the players. It's not an every game thing. It's you look really good one game and then you look really bad the next. Consistency. It's a thing. All right, everybody. We got bills to pay around here. I am Drew Duncan. Brought to you in part by WBFR, Block 50 Radio, which is online 24-7, 365 at block50radio.com. We'll be back. Don't you dare touch that dial. Block 50 Global Radio. I am Drew Duncan. You guys are checking me out live, and we are on Fired Up. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram is all at Drew Duncan Radio. I am wherever you are listening to podcasts. Take a device to play Fired Up by Drew Duncan on iTunes, iHeart, Google. Wherever you are listening, I am there. I am brought to you in part by WBFR Block 50 Radio, which is online 24-7, 365 at block50radio.com. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, etc. It's all Block 50 Radio. Guys, I am on YouTube as well. The Real Drew Duncan, the RL Drew Duncan. If you don't want to pay for any more podcast subs, then head on over to the YouTube channel, The Real Drew Duncan. Well, tonight is the night, isn't it? And I think a good majority of people are going to be really glad that there are no SEC teams in the CFP. Not for the title game, anyways. Look, this is going to be really good for college football to finally have some different teams in there, right? 
And it's not a knock on the SEC. The SEC's had their dominance. You know, I, I've talked umpteen times about ESPN and, and how they push the SEC, obviously because of their financial investment in the SEC. I've given the numbers over and over again, the new deal that starts this year, which is worth $7 billion, especially with all the money on the back end, $300 million a year. I've already talked about, you know, the recruiting advantages that you get as a result, you know, with the recruiting profiles that are so much better. I've already talked about a lot of different things, and I'm not going to get into it. It's not a knock on the SEC. It's just that they are definitely the result of trickle-down economics, whether anybody likes it or not. Nobody stays in that much control for that length of time. This isn't the 1970s or 80s anymore where there's 70 or 80 college football teams. There's over 130 teams in Division One college football alone, FBS Sub-1A, whatever the hell anybody wants to call it. It's Division One college football. There's over 130 teams. And I'm ready for next year in a lot of ways because of the expansion of the 12 team. I've always said it needs to be at least 16 teams. And I think you just take the top 16 teams. I don't think that you need to complicate this by saying, well, we're going to take the five power five champions and, and go from there when you can't do that right now because you've already said no to the Pac-12 because they're going to be the Pac-2 for next season. And so you've already said that they don't get an automatic end to the CFP. So you, you can't even really go off of that regard now, right? So what you have to go off of is who are the best 16 teams that are ranked, you know, 1 through 12, 1 through 16, whatever the case may be. This is what I've always thought. And at some point with that going on, you're going to get the Liberties, the UCFs, you're going to get the Boises, the Utahs, the Marshalls, et cetera. You're going to get them in there and you're going to give them a chance to get some shine. In theory. I don't think it's really going to happen a whole hell of a lot. I think we're going to be dealing with them at number 13 every year for a while. But uh, be that as it may, I'm excited for Washington and Michigan. I'm excited for Washington and Michigan because Michigan has one of the best defenses in all of college football, and Washington has one of the best offenses in all of college football. Now, J.J. McCarthy made some spectacular plays. And I'm going to be the first one to tell you that I have said for I don't know how long now that he absolutely needs it to be in a perfect place in order for everything to work together for him. But, man, I'm going to tell you what, that play he made off of the, the you know, basically a flea flicker that went haywire and he still was able to complete it, that was one hell of a play. Regardless, Washington's defense is not that good. And, you know, they could talk about that defense all they want to, but they've given up a lot of points. Now, against teams that were not very good this season, there were teams that didn't score a lot. But against anybody with any type of offensive arsenal at all, they put 30 up, and that's just all there was to it. The fact of the matter is this. It's intriguing because we don't see this happen very often, where it's basically a top defense and a top offense versus a mediocre defense and what is really not that great of an offense. What is going to be the ultimate thing in here? I could give you the basics. I could talk about no turnovers. I could talk about obviously cleaning up mistakes that they had in special teams. I could talk to you about how, you know, you've got to do the little things and all that BS. I could line you out with a bunch of boring, blase, blase stuff. I could talk to you about the same thing that everybody's been talking about with Harbaugh and the sign stealing. I could talk to you about Washington and Michael Penix Jr. and how he's a game breaker. What I'm going to say is, is exactly what I said about the CFP already, and that is which team can really get the run game going because football at its most basic standpoint 
is a run-first game, and the run game and a solid defense will get you to where you want to go. And who has had the overall advantage throughout the course of an entire season in that regard? It has been Michigan. Between these two teams. Now, again, the run game got going pretty good with Johnson about midway, a little after midway in the season. And it was basically right after I said, look, they have got to figure out a way to take some pressure off of Penix, and they've got to get some balance, and they got to start being able to run the football. Because after a while, just rearing back and throwing it, especially in today's football where people anticipate a lot of throws, it is not going to behoove you to just be a throw-it-up offense. Now, obviously, Michael Penix Jr. was very impressive against Texas. But that defense almost gave the game away. And I would say this. If either team is able to figure out a way to keep the run game going throughout the game, then they're going to be at a tremendous advantage. But the overall advantage to that will go to Michigan. And I think that they'll be able to bully that defensive front from the Washington Huskies. I think that a, you know maybe for like a first quarter, maybe quarter and a half, it may not work. But as long as they stick with it. Look, one of the things that I talked about with Michigan was they needed to do something different against the Alabama Crimson Tide. What they needed to do was go shotgun. And I didn't care if they ran the football. I didn't care if they threw the football. I, I just needed them to go shotgun. I predominantly wanted them to throw the football, and I wanted to, you know, to put pressure on that defense early, and that's exactly what they did. They ran out of shotgun, and they were running the football that way. And they, they did some things that I said they needed to do. They needed to run some trick plays and throw Alabama off and keep them honest. They did that. And I think that they won't necessarily need to do that, though, against Washington. I think against Washington, they can be a little bit more straight up. I think against Washington, you can use some power running football. You can go under center predominantly for about 75 to 80% of your plays and be very successful. Because what Washington is going to have to rely on is heavy blitzing. But if you catch them in zone and they're looking in that backfield on a fake handoff and they're thinking it's going to be a run, that's going to present some issues for their defense in the backfield. Simultaneously, if Washington is able to get the run game going, then they will be able to do something that no other team really has done so far this year on Michigan, and that is control the line of scrimmage, and not just that, but beat them down physically. Because if, if you run the football and you're Washington and you're able to get it done and you're going no huddle and you're not giving Michigan a chance to substitute, then at that point what you are doing is wearing them down and making them tired, forcing them to breathe heavy by you know the third quarter and just treating it like it's a heavyweight boxing match, just beating the living hell out of that midsection, hoping and knowing that if you're successful, not only will Penix be able to hit you with some high shots that will go to the chin for knockout blows, but later in the championship rounds, Michigan will be too tired to be able to defend themselves. That's the way that I would treat it if I was Washington. I would really want to run the football because I need to take pressure off of Penix, but I also need to wear down that defensive front because I do not want them after my quarterback all night long. Because if they get a good shot on him and he gets hurt, I got news for everybody. The backup situation is not exactly fantastic in Washington. And everybody could talk about those receivers and everything all they want to, and that's fine and dandy. 
you are going to find out just how mediocre that football team is if Penix gets hurt for any reason. And that's just a point of fact. The thing about Penix is, and I pointed this out at the end of the CFP, was when he puts it on a spot and these guys are running their routes, they trust him to get the ball in some very difficult situations. They stick with it because they know he can get it there. You're not going to see that with a backup. They're going to be timid because I don't know what's going to happen, where this thing is going to go. You're going to see a completely different offense, and it's going to melt down. You have to take control of the line of scrimmage in order to nullify that defensive front from Michigan. That's exactly what you have to take away. Sanders still is going to think like a receiver in the backfield. That's all there is to it. And if you take him out of the game and force him to be one on Block 50 Global Radio. I am Drew Duncan. You guys are checking me out live. And the show is fired up. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram is all at Drew Duncan Radio. I am wherever you're listening to podcasts. Take advice to play Fired Up by Drew Duncan, iTunes, iHeart, Google. Wherever you're listening, I am there. Plenty to get to. We're going to be talking about Draymond Green here momentarily. We're going to be talking AFC and NFC playoffs a little bit later on in the program. I am brought to you in part by WBFR Block 50 Radio, which is online 24-7, 365 at block50radio.com. Guys, if you don't want to pay for any more podcast subs, head on over to my YouTube channel, The Real Drew Duncan, The RL Drew Duncan, where I do post entire episodes for free. And of course, if you don't mind heading on over to the podcast, say good advice to play Fired Up by Drew Duncan, iTunes, iHeart, Google, Deezer, Spreaker, wherever you're listening, I am there. All right. Steve Kerr on the return of Draymond Green. Was, was Draymond here today yep. and what kind of conversations have you guys had or with the team or anything like that since yeah he's back? here he, he looks good he's um excited to be here we just had our walkthrough so he took part in the in the walkthrough and um good to have him back how extensive do you expect kind of this like ramp up process for him to be uh, I don't know. I mean, we'll just see. Um, he'll work with Rick every day, and he'll get um, get lots of shots up, and you know, scrimmage and all that stuff. And I have no idea when that will be. Have you talked to him at all about? Has he been able to like play? I haven't. I haven't really talked to him much about that. Okay. Is there an energy and a spirit when Draymond's back, even if it's a walkthrough situation? Just. Maybe a lift to, to, to see him again for, sure. for everybody? For sure. Yeah, everybody's excited to see him. It's great to have him back. He's you know one of our leaders, and um, and he's happy to be back. So uh, it's a good, good vibe in there. So obviously a little underwhelming in terms of the responses. Pretty political, mundane stuff, right? Real coaching answers coming from Steve Kerr. But, you know, this is the thing that I've said about Draymond. And to me, this is the most important piece of the puzzle in all of this. And I want to reiterate this because I have talked about it over and over again. And this is a whether people like it or not scenario. Whether or not people like it reality. Whether or not people like it situation. Do you understand whether you like Draymond Green or not? He is a heavy influence on that basketball team. You heard Steve Kerr say he's one of our leaders. 
It's just a point of fact. The core nucleus for the Golden State Warriors throughout everything has been Klay Thompson, Steph Curry, and Draymond Green. Now, there is literally no escaping that as a 100% fact. There's literally no escaping what Draymond Green brings to the table for the Golden State Warriors. I have repeatedly talked about him being an enforcer, a necessary person in, in basketball, period. Whether it's the NBA, college ball, high school, whatever, man. He is a necessity, and that's whether people like it or not. You can call him a bum. You can call him a jerk. You can say he's violent. And look, he's had episodes. But he has done, in effect, what everybody has asked him to do. The NBA, the Golden State Warriors, who, by the way, I think Draymond lost $2 million throughout this process. Golden State, $7 million. They saved it because of a tax bill. So the fact of the matter is, is that while Golden State has potentially gained a different version of Draymond Green, that maybe for the good, maybe for the bad, we'll see. I don't know if you, how much you want to try to contain somebody like him. But financially, they certainly saved. I mean, seven million's no joke. Seven mil is seven mil, even to the Warriors at this point. And the Warriors have been dealing with bigger things as it is. Clay Thompson and all that nonsense. You know, Steph Curry really having to drag that team, kicking and screaming in every result or, you know, every aspect of the game. Obviously, since Draymond's been gone, Jordan Poole's come back. That's been a big thing. I think by last look, they were, what, 7-5 and five without Draymond, if I'm not mistaken. So, uh, it, it's 50-50 on whether or not they'd be any better with him there. I certainly believe that they would be. Look, I've always stood up for Draymond in a lot of situations. I, I think, though, there there came a point where enough was enough, and and he just went too far. You know, I have talked about over and over again how – when men get together, look, man, we, we just sometimes we fly off the hook. And Draymond is that guy. He's always been that guy. And if Draymond were in the 80s, he would be celebrated because Draymond would be revered as just another guy doing what everybody else does during that time frame. Bill Lambeer. I mean, come on, man. Didn't, you know, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar give Brody a, a nice little right cross after he caught a gut check from him, you know, and everybody wants to be like, oh, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, I, they're just, and, and look, I understand repeat offender. I get all that. I still think that Draymond is a necessity. And I have told people over and over again that if the Warriors wanted to really get rid of him, if they really didn't appreciate who Draymond was as a basketball player and as a leader, they would have found a way to get rid of him a long time ago, people. Remember when this all went down with Sabonis and that whole thing during the playoffs this past season, when they came back and they won that series, everybody, Draymond and everybody was talking about how they rallied around him. Those guys love him. The thing that I talked about, though, at the beginning of this season was whether or not it's time to break up the band. It's one of the things I talked about at the end of last year. I think everybody has come to a different place now. I think Klay Thompson is out of control for whatever reason. I think Steph Curry is certainly not happy. He doesn't look like he's as happy as he has been in the past. You've had everything going on with Draymond Green. I, I think it's time to pick up a different regime. 
I don't know if that also entails getting rid of Steve Kerr or letting him retire or whatever. One of the things I've talked about is allowing, you know, Clay Thompson to retire, do things gracefully. But sometimes, though, you don't have a choice and you can't do things gracefully. And if somebody feels like their time isn't done yet, then there's really no choice. You have to trade them. You have to cut them somehow, some way. You have to, you know, let them go somewhere else in free agency. Whatever the case may be, that's the way that it has to be. I I personally think that regardless of anything, you'll probably see Steph Curry stick around to the end of his career. Having him go somewhere else, I think, would just be the ultimate blow to the Golden State Warriors because, let's be honest, he's still a viable option in terms of somebody you can use in recruitment when you're interviewing for the NBA draft, when you're interviewing free agents, hey, man, we still got Steph Curry. Sure, we don't have Draymond anymore. I know we don't have Clay anymore, but we still got Steph. And people will want to come and play with Steph Curry. And I don't really think that there's any ifs, ands, or buts about that. Will they want to come, though, if Draymond is there still? Will they want to be there if Clay is continuing in the way that he has? I mean, these are the questions that you have to ask. And I think that the answers are very simple. I think a good majority of people would say, with Draymond and Clay still there, probably not. With them gone and, and Steph still there, absolutely. With all three gone, now you're basically saying this is a complete rebuild. Everything has been torn down. We're going to move on from a coaching standpoint as well, and it's start all over again. I really just think that the entire Warriors as we have known them are not only not the same as they've ever been, but I think that it's all come to a breaking point at this juncture. I think everything has come to a head. I don't know that they rally around the return this time of Draymond Green. I really just don't. I think that it comes to a place where everybody gets a little fed up And everybody needs a break from the family. Everybody needs a break from their friend. Everybody needs a break from their teammate. It just gets to a point where we've worked together for far too long. And we have separated ourselves in terms of who we are. We've all grown differently. And I just think it's over in Golden State. I don't know. I'm not saying this season isn't salvageable. What I'm saying is in the playoffs, even if I do get – they do get there. I, I'm not really sure that they are going to accomplish much if I'm being honest with you. And I think at the end of this season, a lot of decisions are going to be made by the Golden State Warriors. All right, everybody, we got to take a break and pay these bills. We'll be back after this. Don't you dare touch that dial. Block 50 Global Radio. Hello, everybody. I am Drew Duncan. The show is fired up and we are live. I am brought to you in part by WBFR Block 50 Radio, which is online 24-7, 365 
at block50radio.com. I'm wherever you're listening to podcasts. Take your device to play Fired Up by Drew Duncan on iTunes, iHeart, Google, wherever you're listening, I am there. And if you don't want to pay for any more podcast subs, head on over to my YouTube channel, The Real Drew Duncan, D-R-L Drew Duncan, where I do post entire episodes for free. Obviously, momentarily, we're going to be talking AFC and NFC playoffs. And, of course, we may have time. I don't know if I'm going to be able to get into it yet. Uh, With the SEC, their commissioner, Stanley, still making a lot of waves. And I guess, at the very minimum, you got to keep yourself in the forefront somehow, some way, right? I mean, (laughs) there's no team in the CFP from the SEC in the CFP championship game, which, let's be honest, I mean, for a while – I've been calling it an invitational. Can you really consider it to be anything other than that, an invitational? I mean, seriously, at this juncture, it's exactly what it is. But regardless of that, a few things changed, obviously, from a week ago. One of the things that obviously did happen was every team in the AFC North finished with a winning record. Mike Tomlin is back in the playoffs for all you Mike Tomlin haters out there. Obviously, coming up, we're going to see the – Browns in the playoffs. First time since they've had Baker Mayfield there back in the pandemic year when they got screwed over. Still could have won that football game. Plenty of time to make changes, but, man, the call at the end of that game. Browns and Texans, which, you know, obviously I I think it's going to go without saying where everybody's going to be talking about that Browns defense. You know, look, I'm never one to jump the gun on anybody, and I think people who know me, and listen to this show frequently, know that I'm not willing to jack ride anybody. But man alive, C.J. Stroud has had a hell of a season. Do I think he could have been an MVP candidate? Look, at, for me, the MVP race was very simple. Christian McCaffrey, Lamar Jackson, and Tua. I mean, to me, that was the MVP race. Not Brock Purdy. I hate to break it to all you 49er fans. I have not changed my mind on that. Regardless, the point is, Offensive Rookie of the Year, Rookie of the Year. I, I Look, to me, it's cut and dry that C.J. Stroud is it. How bad was this football team? And look, if anybody wants to compare him to anybody, to me, it should be Donovan McNabb. Because Donovan McNabb came in in his first full season with a really bad football team and immediately turned them into an 11-5 football team and, made him into, and got him into the playoffs. I mean, if that's what anybody wants to compare C.J. Stroud to, it's got to be that. This was a bad football team. Obviously, the coaching job has been phenomenal, but man alive, C.J. Stroud. And, you know, they were willing to take some risks yesterday. Were they not right out of the gate? You saw C.J. Stroud, boom, deep throw. You've got a guy that you feel like you can trust with the football in his hands. He's got a, He's made a lot of accomplishments this season. I'm not willing to jock ride him, but I am willing to say that this season – was certainly nothing short of spectacular. However, I think it all comes to a halt when they got to play Cleveland. And it's not just because of the experience of Joe Flacco, even though I think that Joe Flacco could still potentially hurt them very badly with all the turnovers that he's had, eight interceptions in just a few football games. I think the defense with Miles Garrett and company is good enough to shut down C.J. Stroud, and I think the Browns scored just enough to win that football game. That's what I think. The Dolphins and the Chiefs, man, I tell you what, here's the thing, right? Because we saw Miami and Buffalo last night, and both guys, Tua and Josh Allen, created some heinous turnovers. And with Josh Allen, it was back-to-back turnovers in the red zone 
both very poor decisions, both very poor throws, one definitely under an immense amount of pressure, and that's been who Josh Allen is. In big games, this is what happens. I, I talked about it last season and into this season and the season before. In big games, Josh Allen has a tendency to turn the football over a lot. And even when he doesn't have a lot of turnovers, he'll still have a lot of muffs. Again, I point out to the Miami-Buffalo game from a season ago where he had three fumbles. I only lost one of them, but he had three fumbles. The fact of the matter is this. They have skated by for quite some time. And I know that there's a lot of people that think he should be in the Pro Bowl and an All-Pro and, you know, the amount of touchdowns that he's had and he's carrying his team on his back and all that. I just don't buy it. I think he's done more harm than good in big game situations. And I think that they will be able to get by Pittsburgh simply because offensively they're not good enough to contend with Buffalo. But I don't know how I feel about Miami and Kansas City yet. Mahomes has a lot more experience in two in this situation. And it's really not even the situation of being in the wild card. It's the situation of being in the playoffs. He's had the big game on his back before. I love Tua. I think he should be an MVP candidate far and away this season. But the main thing that I look at when I look at this football game is the experience now and also the defense. I mean, look, the age, the average age of somebody on that defense at the beginning of the year was 24 and a half years old. But the Miami Dolphins may have found themselves in good predicament because we just saw Willie Gay and, and Jones get after it not too long ago. At the beginning of the season, we saw Travis Kelsey getting into it with rookie guys. This whole thing with Taylor Swift has been nothing but a distraction, I don't think, for that football team. You, you've had lead-leading stats in all the wrong places, drops, etc. They, they've been a very fumble-prone football team. They've beat themselves with ridiculous penalties. And the Miami Dolphins are a football team that it's like, hey, can we get a win over somebody with a winning record, even though they are the team with a winning record. I pointed that out many times. But I, I think for them, regardless of how cool, you know, Mike McDaniels is and how fun-loving this team is, it gets to a point where how do you coach a team to focus and be ready for a playoff game? That's what it amounts to. Because the way the playoff structure is set up now, only one team gets a bye week, right? So now literally everybody else is going to be playing in that first playoff game. That's not in a buy. That's just a point-blank situation. Well, Andrew, why are you stating the obvious? You think you're saying something there? Here's what I'm getting at. The road now for at least six teams is going to be much more difficult than it ever was before. If you were the second team, the number two seed, and you had that buy, you were guaranteed not only a home game, but you were guaranteed an extra week to rest guys. So if you came into this weekend and you didn't need a win like a Buffalo or Miami and you had the number two seed locked up, you were able to rest guys for that final week in the NFL, then rest guys again during the wild card, and it's not like that. And we could be looking at a very beat-up Miami team and a very beat-up Buffalo team. The Browns knew that they were guaranteed that fifth seed, so they rested everybody. The Steelers had to put in work. You know, we're, we're talking about teams that had to make sure that they won football games to solidify their spot in the playoffs or their seed in the playoffs. 
I just don't know who's in the best position, though. If I had to guess, I would say Buffalo. But then again, maybe Mike Tomlin is tired of hearing about it. Maybe Mike Tomlin is getting his guys fired up in a way that he never has before. And, and look, I've said it a million times. I'll continue to be documented as, as saying this. You can do a lot worse than Mike Tomlin. I would rather have 17 seasons where I never have a losing record than one winning season and then one losing season and then a couple losing seasons and then a mediocre season. 17 straight seasons of not having a losing record. What in the hell are we even talking about here? I said it long before Kelsey did. I honestly think that the Bills are in the best position with their first-round matchup, but I I think the Dolphins aren't exactly in a bad place either. The main thing is going to be all about their confidence level and how their juice is going into this football game. That's what it's going to be about. They got smacked around by Baltimore. They, They could not put away Buffalo, even though they had plenty of opportunities to put that game away. Their play calling is getting somewhat mundane now. It's that counterplay to the left and then that counterplay to the right. At some point, you have got to be able to do something out of the ordinary to win a football game. And I think maybe Mike McDaniels might have something for him, but I don't really know. All right, everybody. I am Drew Duncan. The program is fired up. We got bills to pay around here. Don't you dare touch that dial. Block 50 Global Radio. Hello, everybody. I am Drew Duncan. The program is fired up, and we are live. Do not forget that I am brought to you in part by Block 50 Radio, WBFR, which is online 24-7, 365 at block50radio.com. I am wherever you are listening to podcasts. Take your device to play Fired Up by Drew Duncan on iTunes, iHeart, Google. Wherever you are listening, I am there. If you don't want to pay for any more podcast subs, head on over to the YouTube channel, The Real Drew Duncan, The RL Drew Duncan, where I do post entire episodes for free. Can't promise you there won't be any ads, but I can damn sure promise you that it's going to be for free. And who doesn't like free? Everybody loves some free. The only thing that I would ask is that you hit the sub button for me. I mean, that's a fair trade, right? And I mean, I get it. I mean, come on, man. Just like that football game that's going to be on Peacock. Look, I've been saying this for a very long time, right? The playoff game is going to be on Peacock this coming weekend. I think that we are moving to a place where – YouTube TV eventually, all the local networks, all the local channels, all that is going to be obsolete. Everything is going to be individualized on an app. You're going to see everything. You know, if you want to watch the Broncos, you're going to have to be, you know, sub to a certain app. I think NFL Sunday tickets going to be a thing of the past eventually, probably in the next year or two, to be honest with you. I think the same thing with NBA League Pass. I think you're going to have to have the NBA app, and I think you're going to have to have other apps to watch games. I think everything locally is going to go away. It's going to be really hard to watch more than one game at a time, but 
I just think that's the way of the world now and the way that it's going. I don't think it's very long before there's no need for any type of television whatsoever. Everything is going to be in an app within the next probably 10 years as far as like everything goes. As far as sports goes, it's definitely moving into an area where I'd not be surprised in the next year or two. You want to watch a fight, you want to watch a game, got to go to an app, period. You don't have one, you're done. Regardless, NFC playoffs coming up this weekend. You've got the Packers and the Cowboys, the Rams and the Lions, the Eagles and the Bucks, and then, of course, the 49ers with the bye week. Boy, I tell you what, the Eagles have just crapped the bed all the way. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I cannot stick up for this football team anymore. I don't think it gets any better in the playoffs. They're in a good position because they're playing against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But... And by the way, if anybody watched Baker Mayfield at the end of that interview, at the end of the game yesterday, he was limping pretty good. He's banged up, he's injured, he's hurt. And if that Philly defense can figure out a way to get some pressure on him, it's going to be a long day for Baker. Regardless of all the talent that's around him, he may have bought himself another year in Tampa Bay, but I don't think he's going to get another playoff win. I'll be honest with you. Now, having said that, I don't think Philly would get past the second round. You know, Philly's blown a couple of leads. They got absolutely thrashed by the Giants. There's just no ifs, ands, or buts about it. It, This whole thing is an ugly nightmare right now for the Eagles. And I don't know that there's really any way to salvage any part of this season other than winning at least one playoff game. But even then – Beating Tampa Bay, are you really going to look at it and say, man, that was a huge win. At least we got that win over Tampa Bay. Absolutely not. The Eagles got to get back to the run game, and they've got to start putting the ball back on the carpet because trying to air it out the way that they are is just not working for them. Defenses are keying in on Jalen. They're putting together good blitz packages. That offensive line can't protect for nothing. I I just don't know. I'm 50-50 on whether or not they're going to beat Tampa Bay. If they do it, again, it's not exactly the biggest win in the playoffs. That's for damn sure. Seriously. Rams and Lions, look, the Rams have had a very good second half of the year, whereas the Lions have found themselves in a pretty similar situation to the Philadelphia Eagles, right? The second half of the year has just been horrible for them. And obviously there's going to be a lot of emotions because Stafford's going to be coming back for a playoff game And while all those fans can talk about how much they appreciate him and they were glad that he got himself a Super Bowl, you know, his first year in L.A., you know, that win over Cincinnati, that huge comeback in that game, all that is a thing of the past going into this. They may cheer him initially, but believe me when I tell you, after that, when that offense takes the field, it is going to be the loudest I think we have ever heard that crowd. And I mean that. And I think that's what it's going to partially take in order to win that football game that place is gonna have to get exceptionally loud because I don't know that the Detroit Lions have the balance to beat the Rams if I'm being 100% honest with you and nobody is gonna know how to play in that place better than Stafford is nobody the games that he's won there I mean come on we've all seen the highlight of the fake spike not even his own guys knew he was gonna do it when he jumped over the top, the highlight of him finishing that game with what was it, a separated shoulder or a broken arm or whatever it was, and he still finished a game like that and they won. Nobody knows what it takes to win games in that place 
better than he does. And he's heard a lot over his career from people with the likes of myself and everybody else that he's just not a quarterback that can really get you to where you want to go and that it took a really, really good football team around him in order to win games. They've had to deal with the injury situation with Cooper Cup this year on a couple of different times. Obviously, you know, you've had other guys step up. But the fact of the matter is, to me, this could be the best game in the first round. Just because as bad as Dallas is, because they're not great. I don't want to say that they're bad, but they're not great. And as underwhelming as Dak Prescott is in the playoffs, I I still think that out of everybody in the first round, they're still probably in the best situation against Green Bay. Number one, you got a really big win at the end of the season, even though you had the doink on the field goal. You, You still got a really big win overall at the end of the season. But again, it's symptomatic of who the Cowboys really are. Jordan Love does not have enough experience in these situations. We've seen plenty of games from him and the Green Bay Packers where for three quarters, you know, they either dominated or they just didn't exist. And then all of a sudden it's let's make a comeback, right? You you take that Saints game as a very perfect example. Three quarters they didn't exist. Somehow they put it together and they win that football game. Now, Derek Carr got hurt in that game, but let's be honest, losing Derek Carr isn't exactly – I mean, look, I understand he's a starter in this league, but, I mean, come on, does anybody have that guy in the top 15 or 20 in in quarterbacks in the NFL? And I get that it's Jameis Winston and that it's a really bad thing to have him in there, but what else are you going to do? That's the guy that's on your roster. You got to go with what you got. And it's not like they did much better with Derek Carr this season anyways, and that's exactly my point. For three quarters, they were nothing, and then all of a sudden, they were really good. And then they were just really bad, and then they had a really good back end of the year. But I, I just think that Dallas in that defense is going to be too good for Green Bay. You know, Micah Parsons, all year long, has had a chip on his shoulder. All year long, he's advocated for Dak. All year long, he's talked about the haters. All year long, he's talked about how that defense is better than anybody gives him credit for, how he's tired of hearing about it from the media and fans. He's been sick of it. And I think that he takes ownership of that defensive side of the ball more than a lot of other guys do on that football team. I think he looks at himself as being the guy, and I think he looks at himself as not just the motivator on the defensive side of the football, but overall for the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, let's be honest. His podcast with Bleacher Report is basically the voice of what probably a lot of Dallas Cowboy players want to say, but they can't. Or they don't for whatever reason. And Micah Parsons has the cojones, whether I agree with it or not, it's a different thing, but he definitely has the cojones to stand up and say whatever the hell he wants to say. And he's not going to be swayed by public opinion. That's for damn sure. So when you look at it, I, I think Micah Parsons, to me, I think he gets everybody ready. I think he gets everybody amped up. I think he takes control. I think he takes a big leadership position with the Dallas Cowboys. I think he gets everybody fired up enough that they don't just beat Green Bay. I think they blow him out, if I'm being honest with you. I just, again, Jordan Love to me, really bad situation. Followed the guy who followed Brett Favre. It's literally Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers, and now Jordan Love. That's a hell of a lot of pressure. I mean, a hell of a lot of pressure. Simultaneously, he'd been waiting in the wings for a couple of years. 
plenty of time to get ready. He's got to do something to make his mark with the Green Bay Packers. All right, everybody. I am Drew Duncan. This is Fired Up. We've got bills around this piece. Don't you dare touch that dial.